Listener Production. This episode touches on stories of war, combat, and the damage of these events. If you're not up to hearing about this today, please dive into our back catalogue of A Life of Greatness episodes. Ant Middleton is a renowned adventurer, military veteran, television host, and author. His expertise is rooted within elite and special forces units. Ant is one of the select few who have successfully completed the military's demanding Holy Trinity, having served with the Parachute Regiment, the Royal Marines and the Special Forces, particularly the Special Boat Service, which is the sister force of the SAS. Now, our next guest has braved some pretty terrifying ordeals. That 1% distraction could cost someone their lives. He survived war zones, jumped out of aeroplanes and even climbed Mount Everest. I've described this man as one of the toughest ever. Fear is everyday part of life. You're going to feel it to the day you die. This conversation traverses many realms. His own personal journey of loss, his purpose-driven mission to move people from a fearful mindset to a harmonious one and knowing when and how to push your limits. If you stay true to yourself, then you can never lose direction. Lose yourself trying to fit a narrative. You lose yourself in, into fakeness. You lose who you are, you lose your identity. And all of a sudden, that, and that's where the psychological damage comes into play. When you stay true to yourself, you will always weather the storm. You will always come out the other side. But the moment you, you, you try and fight the narrative, you're going to get sidetracked and pushed off course. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Ant Middleton is doing some live shows in Australia in February 2024 called the Fear Bubble Tour. In its essence, this conversation highlights mindset, how to move into one that serves you and the concrete steps and practical solutions you can adopt to build a better blueprint for a more fulfilling future. My hope is that this episode leaves you inspired, uplifted and reminds you of life's bigger picture and higher promise. Aunt Middleton, I want to cut to the chase. What made you want to join the British Army at 17? Do you know what? I just wanted to be self-sufficient. I was quite a curious and um, active young young man. Um, I loved the challenge. Uh, I was very competitive and I wasn't too academic. So I thought to myself, do you know what? Um, go off and challenge yourself. Um, get some discipline and structure under your life. And the British Army was, you know, just sort of screamed at me. And I'd never joined the army to make a career out of it. It was just something as a young 17-year-old that was, you know, needed a bit of direction and a bit of structure in his life. I thought, you know what? Go and join the army. You're going to get a small pay packet. You know, they're going to feed you and water you. They're going to put a roof over your head and you're going to be challenged at the same time. So that was the only reason why. What did you learn when you are in the British Army about mindset? Do you know what? It's, it's one of those where it's definitely given me resilience and uh, life experience. And when I say resilience, 
um, not only physical resilience, but psychological resilience and emotional resilience. You know, you're having to face fears and phobias all the time in the military. Um, and once you expose it and you repeat the process, you know, that uh, feeling becomes more familiar. You learn how to harness your emotions. You learn how to to trigger or decision-make for a certain mindset um, on how to use your emotions correctly. And nine times out of ten, it's through trial and error. It's being forced into a situation like the military, you know, forced up an assault course, forced to jump out of helicopters, forced through through a tunnel, through a, a caving system. Um, and I suppose once you realise that you can do it, you know, you realise what you're capable of, self-belief kicks in the back end. And then um, after that, I think the physical and psychological side, it's just an emotional journey. Mm. You know, uh, harnessing your fears, knowing when, uh, when and how to use them to your advantage. So definitely psychological resilience I got from the military, but I would say more so than anything, emotional intelligence. Mm. Your dad passed away when you were five, and I know that was a tough time for you. And then, you know, your stepdad kind of came in not far after that. How has that shaped you? Yeah, it made me self-reflect at such a young age. When I look at my father's death, um, that man, you know, sort of left a gift behind that I could never repay. And he, he made me self-reflect from the age of five. And what I mean by that is I can remember, you know, multiple times, but I remember this one time that I was sat in a bush, you know, just in tears and thinking why, why, what's happened to my life? You know, my dad had just passed away, a new man came into my life. And I couldn't understand the situation. It was so overwhelming that, you know, you, you don't try to break it down at that age. You know, you just get on with things. But I can remember thinking to myself, and this is one specific time, I remember thinking to myself, and you know, you're upset because you've lost your dad. You know, don't try and understand what's going on outside of your control because you can't control it. Um, just understand what you can do. Understand what who you are. Understand how you're feeling. Um, so I started self-reflecting due to the death of my father, which, again, I take as a super positive at the age of five. And I believe that that self-reflection on how to how to handle things, or breaking my emotions down, breaking uh, down situations, trying to you know, figure them out logically, um, has given me a huge head start psychologically and emotionally on 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 the world, on you know, on my peers, you know, of my era. So um, you know, and I try and use that skill set to the best of my ability because um, you know, through huge sacrifice without obviously my father realising it, that was given to me. So, um, you know, I went through years and years of mourning and trying to ask questions that, that couldn't be answered. And I thought, you know what, let's flip flip this into a positive. And it's only through years and years of getting it wrong that I realised, wow, actually, I think like this because of my dad. And now the gift that he gave me, I need to make him proud. I need to use it on myself. I need to use it on my children, on my loved ones, on my work colleagues, on my, you know, on, on everyone that I meet. That's something, uh, a purpose in life that he's given me um, that I try to uphold. When you're obviously in the military and then you went on to being the Navy SEALs, there are things that, a lot of things that are very dark about being in the military. I mean, it is a place of, it's war a lot of the time. And I wonder for you, you know, you're in Afghanistan, three tours you did in Afghanistan, what sort of things did you see there as far as like the tragedy that occurs when when you're in war? Yeah, so, you know, I've seen it all. I've seen 
you know, people being blown up. Um, I've seen children, you know, unfortunately be part of collateral damage. Um, I've seen, you know, death and destruction, but it was, it all comes part and parcel of, of what we do. You know, that's why we have to think in a unique type of way. That's why we, you have to be a unique type of individual to, to come out the other end. And, you know, the military doesn't always get it right. You know, you've got a lot of people that suffer from PTSD and because, you know, it's, they've obviously been ill prepared or, you know, they haven't had that psychological sort of readiness to be able to deal with what's, what they have to witness. So, you know, there's, it is a unique job. You know, I absolutely loved what I'd done. I loved uh, doing my, my job. And ultimately, when you think of the military, you think of bullets and bombs and, you know, big, big, uh, an armory that opens and, you know, especially special forces soldiers are the tools that go out and, and do, do, the, do the job. But when you break down the number one sort of rule of any military organization, it's, it's ultimately, you know, and it might sound a bit bizarre, but you're ultimately there to preserve life. You know, you only you only take life if someone is trying to take your life or someone else's life. So ultimately, when it comes back around, you know, you're preserving life by taking life. But if you look at it as taking life, then you're going to have a completely different experience to if you look at it as if you're saving a life by taking a life, if that makes sense. So it's, it all depends how you process it and how you look at things and how you can break things down emotionally and psychologically. Did you have to take many lives? Yes, yeah, I've had to take lives to save lives. Um, I was point man, you know, I was the first man through the door. Um, I'd done two highly kinetic tours of Afghanistan um, in my UK special forces uh, career. So especially when you're the first person through the door and you're, you know, you're going after high value targets and it, you're going to come across some resistance. You're going to come across those uh, moments where you need to make a decision. And I always looked at it. I always uh, sort of broke it down in my head of, you know, I, I believe no one has the God given right to take life. You know, that's not your right to do that. However, if someone thinks they have the right to do that, then I will simply deny them that right. I sort of played it around like that, you know, and I only pressed the trigger when I believed that there was a life in jeopardy or a life um, that was going to be taken. So when I thought, when I when I sort of broke it down like that, and I only done that through trial and error. When I broke it down like that, I went into combat with a different headspace. It's like, right, you know, no one has a God-given right to take life. If they think they've got the right to do it. Deny them that right, therefore you're saving a life. And you know what? It 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 saved me from pressing the trigger so many times. It saved me from. It was quite a simple process in my head, and humane process that that I that I sort of ingrained in there to uh, to to come not only come out alive but to come out with with a way that I could understand what I was doing, a way that I could process my actions without um, ever questioning my myself. Can you explain to us a bit about Special Forces and, like, what that is? Yeah, Special Forces, you know, we are designed to go into hazardous areas, um, mainly at night, for hard arrests where you go and uh, arrest high-value targets to get more information, um, collecting uh, intelligence, collecting site-sensitive equipment, which, you know, could be laptops, um, iPads, whatever it may, SIM cards, phones, 
Um, ultimately, all of that adds up to prevent a huge disaster down the line. You know, there's always a, a bigger picture to this. Mm. This isn't the case of well, there's a bad guy in this area, let's go and get him. It's like, no, no, there's a bad guy in it. He's planning this or they're planning this for this to come. You know, the, the signs and red flags are all looking towards this bigger disaster that's about to happen. How do we how do we stop that from happening or how do we prevent that from unfolding? Um, so we, yeah, we, that's why we're classed as not only the thinking soldier, but, you know, it's almost like the, uh, the soldier in the shadows. It's, uh, we go in unannounced um, and we come out sort of, um, sort of unseen. But it's, uh, you know, it takes years and years of training. You know, you have to have done five, so I would say five to seven years, multiple, you know, tours under your belt. Um, and then you're picked to to go on the selection process, which has a huge failure rate. You know, ninety five to ninety six percent failure rate. And we're talking the best of the best. You're talking your Marines, your Paras, you know, your infantry, um, your your engineers. Um, you know, you name it. So, you it's a bespoke club to be part of, and uh, it's there's a reason why it's it's cloaked in secrecy because it's it's it should be kept that way, really. Do you work in collaboration, say, with America and other armies when you're over somewhere like Afghanistan? Yeah, when you're a part of a, you know, tier one organisation, you work with multiple intelligence um, agencies around the world. Obviously, America is the obvious one because they're our biggest ally, but, you know, multiple, multiple, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you, you name it, and a few that I can't mention. But, um, yeah, you're on a com- completely, you're almost like a, you're in the military, you're a soldier, but you're you're not. You know, you've almost got uh, not a license to do what you want because that's the wrong thing to say. But you're, you're you're at the worst end of humanity. You know, you have to you have to bend the rules. You have to you have to do things differently. You know, the rules of engagement are different. Um, we work with multiple organisations, which you don't in the conventional role. So when I passed selection for the special forces, I was a I was a hardcore Marine, you know, uh, I thought it's just a step up. I thought, right, let's do this and it's a step up. And I'd done a, I'd done a tour of Afghanistan as a section commander in the Royal Marines. And then uh, straight after that, I went straight on selection and past selection, went straight back out to Afghanistan as point man um, in the task force team. And it was just a completely different world, a completely different, uh, this level up, I thought I was just going to, it's like, no, no, forget what you've been told up to now. You know, everyone gets stripped of their rank. Everyone starts from from the, the ground up. You know, you're in civilian clothes. You're dealing with different organisations, different countries, different continents, different rules of engagement. You know, it's a whole new platform that um, that you didn't even know existed. Even though you hear the stories in the military, you know, you think you've got a, a, a bigger picture of what really happens, but you haven't got a clue unless you've been there and passed the selection process and been given that sort of uh, rules of engagement and uh, freedom to go and to sort of figure it out your way, then you, you, you can't really have a clue what goes on. You know, I always wonder when I speak to people who have spent time in the military, you know, and obviously you mentioned some people have PTSD, some do not, but you still see a more graphic side of life than most people will in their lifetime. And you mentioned you see you have seen kids that have gotten killed. How do you not get their faces out of your head when you sleep at night? I never took anything personal onto the battlefield, ever. 
And again, I suppose this is a form of emotional intelligence. I, I used the emotions that would not have those pictures ingrained in my head. I would use survival, I suppose, survival mechanisms that wouldn't imprint into my mind. And what I mean by that, you know, if, if, if I was faced with an enemy combatant and I made that decision to press the trigger, you know, it was, it was always focused on centre of mass. You know, I would never, I'd never look anyone in the eye. I'd never make it personal like that. Um, even when I went and collected a, uh, a, a body that had blown up, um, and I was putting the body, the torso on the stretcher, the legs, the head. And I remember looking, you know, just thinking as the head was there, you know, obviously separated from the body. Think, don't look at the eyes. Don't look at, just look at, blur, almost blur your vision so it's an object and not a person. And that's how I dealt with everything. The only, actually, tell a lie, the only one person I looked in the eye was a, was a young child that got caught up in our firefight and, uh, and got shot. We brought him back on the helicopter and um, and and dropped him off at a, at a field hospital. Um, and I can just remember his eyes being wide, like a like a you know like a sort. And I remember sort of switching that switch that moment. I remember switching into sort of had a, like a little bit of a you know like a little bit of a malfunction. And it's like don't allow yourself to do that. Don't allow yourself to do that. So I just remember making sure that I didn't look at him and just let the left the medics that were dealing with him on the helicopter to do what they do um, because that wasn't my job. You know, my job was to go and do what I needed to do and their medics' jobs are to do what they do. You know, the surveillance jobs are there to do what they do. Um, so I, I, I never took it personally mm. and I never allowed anything to be personal, even though it's really, really hard to do that. But the moment that you see, you know, you, you sort of take that route and you make it personal, then it becomes personal. It becomes ingrained into your head. It becomes ingrained into your, into your soul. It becomes, you know, it's personal where, you know, when it's personal, it's inside, right? It's not it's not anything on the exterior. So I made sure and I had a very good sort of coping mechanism of, of not making it personal at all. And it really, really worked for me. You know, it's really interesting. And I ask you that because, you know, I'm sincerely interested in your answer with everything going on at the moment, um, the attacks in the Middle East. You know, I, I just have been watching the news all weekend and seeing some of the horrific footage and it's like I feel heavy from it. I feel so distraught. I know what the worst of humanity is. I've lived in it. I had to become comfortable within it. So it's not shocking to me. It's, it's actually normal. Being here in a nice hotel talking to you is not normal for me. You know, I know this isn't real. I know this is not real like that, not talking, um, you know, anything yes. like that but I know it I know we're living in a in a sheltered sort of environment where we're getting fed what we want to you know by media outlets and stuff like that you know on on, on what we want you know what the world that doesn't really exist where that is what you see and what's heavy on you is that actually goes on you know that is what the world my world really looks like when I get too comfortable or too complacent or, you know, and that's why I go and climb mountains. That's why I still do really risky stuff in my life is because I need to get out into the real world and, uh, and sort of sometimes get rid of this sort of not fakeness. Cause I don't want to say people no, live in a fake world. No, I understand what you mean. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it, it's it, I can remember when I first got into, in and I witnessed true combat, it was like, wow, I'm gonna have to get used to this because this is my life. I've volunteered to do this. 
I'm a volunteer at the end of the day. I can leave when I want, but, you know, I've volunteered to do this. I, I, you know, this is my world. Get used to it. You either have to surrender yourself to it and embrace it and then realise that the world isn't all, you know, this sunshine and mm. uh, and glitter. And, you know, it's it's actually very, very, very dark, you know. Um, and if you can, if you get used to living in that darkness, then, you know, you can easily, you know, tr- step into the light. You can easily come out of the shadows into the light. So, um, you know, I say I'm fortunate that um, I've seen it and I do really believe that because there's not much that phases me out there. You know, I know what's real. I know what's not. I know, mm. you know, that's why I always say to people, I don't really fit in a room for the celebrities and, you know, because it's like, I've got that realness and rawness that of the outside world that I know still exists. And, you know, it's, yeah, of course, you know, it's, it's part and parcel. I like to dip my toe in and out of it. But, um, yeah, I feel like I've lived a super privileged lifestyle having been in the military, having witnessed what I've witnessed and come out the other end because, you know, now I, you know, I'm prepared for the worst, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking again about it today and it made me just think about, like, humanity as a whole. And like what we're talking about here and how there is that darkness and also the light. And I wonder, like you seeing so much of the darkness as well, how do you view life? You know, why do you think we're here and how can there be this darkness? How does someone become so dark? I don't focus on the world. I focus on myself. Yeah. Um, and that's not in a selfish way because humanity, is, I believe humanity is all, you know, all about looking after each other. Because ultimately, if you take everything away from us, as long as we've got each other, we can always rebuild. Mm. So humanity is about, you know, compassion and empathy for each other. Because you take away all these buildings, take away all the restaurants, you know, as long as we have each other with and, and a, a land to live on, then we're, we're, we'll always, we'll always rebuild, we'll always survive, we'll always, you know, get to where we need to be. So I don't look at the external world and get sucked into it because... Again, in my eyes, it's not real. You know, it's and I think I suppose the pandemic was a great example of that. Everything can be wiped away from you in a, in a second, even though that's more totalitarian and more decision making from from people we don't know who who have got who've got a bigger picture, a bigger idea on how the world should be run. But I don't get caught up in all of that. The moment you do, you get distracted on the external and. It's not real. You, you know, here in here is real. I know how I'm feeling. I know how, how I'm thinking. I know what I should be doing. I know what's right by me. And everything external comes and goes, right? You never you never truly own anything. You never truly, you know, leave anything behind ultimately because um, as, as the pandemic proved, it can be wiped away from you mm. at a second. So all you can do, all I try and do is just try and become a better version of who I am, pass it on to my children, pass it on to my loved ones, pass it on to my family. Because ultimately, that's all you can leave when you when you when you go is is you know is a mindset like my dad. My dad, without even realizing it, gave me that mindset to self reflect. That's what he passed on to me without even realizing it. You know, he made me self reflect at a young age. You know, you know that's through the sacrifice of himself. You know, that's how I look at it. So, I'm not. A, I suppose I am spiritual, but I, I look at things really from within because I've been stung so many times from the external that has really you know that I can't really control mm. that the moment you focus on that and you try and control what you can't control then you're you're fighting a losing battle or you're always going around in circles and the results always the same or the solution is always the same so I really try and focus on 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 being a good person and I don't mean that cliche wise but 
know, I've got to this stage where I do, I focus on trying to be a, and, and an honest person and an integral person. You know, sometimes your honesty can be the, you know, can be your, be, be too much for people out there. And that's what I say to people. Honesty is too much for people out there when they live in a fake world because they think all of, the, all of this around them is real and they lose the true, true meaning of who they are or what we're designed to do. You know, we're designed to evolve and grow and, you know, um, and I think a lot of the external stuff, it takes that mm. away from, from us. And we're almost in that, in that process or in that period of, of devolving, you know, of, of, of letting everything happen for us. You know, you can't do this. You can't say that, you know, it's almost, we're almost on autopilot and the outside world's taken over. Uh, so I always make sure that uh, I stay, my feet stay firmly planted on the ground. And, I, and then I just try and try and try and keep challenging myself and testing myself only to pass it on, only to show to my children. Um, people say to me, Oh, it's quite a selfish approach. So I'm like, no, because you know, my children look at me and they, they see that I'm working hard. They see that I'm going out and, and, and you know, travelling the world. Even though I'm working when I'm doing it, you know, it's like that's what mm. I want them to do. If I can pass that on where they can go, right, I'm not, I'm not scared to jump on a plane and go, and go to a different culture and blend into a different environment, then that's great because they're going to learn from that. You know, the four corners of a classroom is great to learn from. But if you can incorporate that with the four corners of the world, then talk about a, a super education there. So that's what I try and try and give to to people that I that I meet, that I, that I inspire, and then especially my family and children. So everything has to be internal. People really like you because you are authentic and real and you talk the truth, but that's also cost you a bit as well. You know, in SAS in the UK and the British media is known for being quite harsh at times, but Australia has embraced you. What exactly went on in the UK? You have to try and, especially with the media, you know, they want to try and fit you into a box. They want to try and control the narrative as such. And and when they can't, you know, you're, you're up against a quite incredible force. You know, it's um, you either fold and bend and get down on your knees to it or you just carry on being yourself. You don't go out of your way to fight against it. You just carry on being yourself while this is keeps pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. You know, it's not like we've gone, it's like, right, this is the narrative. This is what I need you to do. This is where you need to fit into. This is the, the pigeonhole that we, that we need you in. When my values and beliefs and um, authenticity and, and honesty and rawness sort of counters that, then, I don't have to change. That's why I've, I've not changed who I am. Even coming to Australia, I've not changed who I am. And it just goes to show, you know, I'm not saying that I wasn't a part of the problem, but it just goes to show that the problem wasn't me. You know, it's like, it's, because I've not changed yeah. when I come here. I'm not all of a sudden just going, oh, I'm always anti <laughs> proper. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's towing the line. He's fitting into this box. It's like, no, 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 I'm still very much who I am. Is it weird that like SAS UK or whatever it's called would get rid of you, but then the Australian version picks you up? Is that odd? No, because it's without, ultimately it's, it's, it's my format, you know, without yeah. owning the format, you know, it's, it's, I wrote this this course on the back of a cigarette pack, wow. the first series, and the whole second series. I went out there just with the production and and, and done the whole the whole sort of second series um, by myself. Um, constructed the course, 
But obviously, you know, when you first get into TV, you don't know anything about formats or anything like that. And then they, you know, they try and take charge of what needs to happen and who needs to get to the end and equality and, you know, race comes into it. And then, and when you staying true to the course, I'm like, I don't care if they're male, female, black or white, Muslim, Catholic, Hindu, you know, if that doesn't come into play. If they if they deserve to be here at the end and they're past the course, if there's no women at the end, then there's no women. If there's no people of colour at the end, there's no, if there's no white, whatever it may be, it's like, but then when you're sort of fed a narrative, and again, if, you're, if it was a scripted show, then of course, happy to, to go. But when, when you're not, you know, when you've got such an authentic show like this, where you're playing with people's emotions, you, you can't you can't ever you know you can't ever be mistrusted with that you can't ever sort of misguide that that trust with with the recruits and the moment they see that you know someone's failed a test or or, or part of the, the 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 course and they're still there then mm. they start to raise eyebrows and they go oh is this just a show you know is it just Ant Middleton just shouting on on screen just be lit there and us it's like no 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 it doesn't fit into that so but I think what's really really important and it's such a and this is why have been embraced in in Australia and and I'm hugely embraced in the UK. You know, if you look at all my social media, it's like, and when are we getting you back on our TVs? You know, that's that's the media that have given me this sort of he's a loose cannon sort of thing. Um, if you stay true to yourself, then you can never lose direction. Mm, you know, so it's you, you, and that's who I like. People employ me now because they want authenticity. They want realness. They want warmth. They know exactly what they're getting with me because I haven't changed. You know, you can imagine if I'd have just bent over and gone, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I apologize. Not, but what's so damaging about that? So damaging about it. And this is what the the media don't realize is you lose yourself. Mm. You lose yourself trying to fit a narrative. And I, I'm, you know, as long as you're not hurting anyone, you're not doing anything. Lose yourself trying to fit a narrative. You lose yourself in, into fakeness. You lose who you are. You lose your identity, and all of a sudden, that and that's where the psychological mm. damage comes into play, because then people are like, right, and then you something else comes along, and then you've got to flip back into that, and then flip back into this person and into that person, and all you're doing is lying to yourself. And when you lie to yourself, you live a lie. Mm. And that is probably the worst thing that I, that petrifies me, Sarah. If I if 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 I was to ever live a lie, that would petrify. I'm not saying I get it right all the time because I don't, but I'm really honest with myself. I'm like, actually, yeah, that was your fault, and get a grip of yourself. This is what you need to do. This is what right. This you can't control. Push it out of the way. But when you stay true to yourself, mm. you will always weather the storm. You will always come out the other side. And. I think Australia is the biggest proof to that. I've not changed who I am. I've not done anything different. And uh, the, the, the narrative seems to work in my favour for now. But the moment you, you, you try and fight the narrative, then, yeah, you, you're going to get sidetracked and, um, you know, and pushed off course. I agree with that. I think authenticity is just the biggest thing. And, and you know, we see so many people get ill later in life because they haven't been true to themselves and they haven't lived the life that they've wanted to live. And I wonder, so we've spoken about authenticity, but from also like a mindset perspective, just with all the journey that you've had in the armed forces, just with the media, everything, what do you think the biggest things when it comes to mindset that people should know about? Biggest thing is be honest with yourself yeah you know the thing that do you know what the beautiful thing about the mind is is that you can't never lie to yourself because you know the answer 
Only you know that, right? And you get to a point where this is where I talk about psychological damage when you're no longer yourself. You've lied to, lied to yourself that much that you don't, you, you don't, you, you become a completely different person and you don't even recognize the lies that you live in. And that's when psychological damage comes up because you'll always come back around and the only person that will figure you out is yourself because you know you can't lie to yourself and what you need to remember is you don't need to remember anything because you remember the stuff that you you need to change about yourself you remember the things that you need to do to better yourself that's the things that we remember right and that's an automatic sort of survival mechanism but the moment you turn those into lies and you're not honest brutally honest with yourself then this, that's where that's really what petrifies me so I, I say to everyone be brutally honest with yourself and when you're brutally honest with yourself, I don't like to use the word brutally honest because be honest with yourself. But people look at, look at honesty as, oh, that's really brutal. That What, because I've told them they need to buck their ideas up because they haven't worked hard enough. Or deep down, when someone tells me, and God, what went wrong there? Deep down, I know I could have done more. I could have put the extra hours in. I could have I've, I've done that a bit different, you know. It's, it, and then, but the moment, you know, you, you don't acknowledge that, then then you start then you start to live that lie then you start to really dig that hole and some people have dug a hole so deep that they just can't get out of it mm. but they know they need to right but they've got either gone too far with it but that's, it's never too late because your mind is so so powerful right it's such a powerful tool um that the that the body possesses the most powerful tool that it's um you can switch things around but when you are true to yourself and you're honest with yourself Sarah, and it goes back to you you you, you rarely lose yourself mm. you know you really and that's what I do sometimes I, I not I look myself in the mirror I've done it before but I don't go through that process now but I just go to myself and yeah no wonder that messed up you that was your fault you could have done better there you you didn't put the hours in you didn't read the script correctly you didn't do this correctly it's like and what I love about that is when you're honest with yourself the problem's the right there to be solved yeah and you know it anyway because it's in there. If you keep covering it up, covering it up, it's always going to protrude back out because it's remembered it. It's, 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 it's there. You know, you have the answers. The answers are there. You know the answers. Stop beating around the bush. Be brutally honest with yourself. And then, and a great thing about it, the knock-on effect, Sarah, is it allows you to be honest with other people mm. because that's what I want. You know, when I when you know, and that's that way you can you can you can evolve. You can develop. You, you, you could, because you know ultimately. It's like when I say to people, you know, or when people say to me, you know, I come off the stage, for example, I know that I've, that I've not put the work in. This is just an example. I know that I've not put the work in. I've not really read my script too properly. I've come off. And then people, oh, and that was great. And I'm thinking, you know, that was nervous, that I wasn't too great. But now, but you're, you're, you're almost making it okay that I wasn't great. And then all of a sudden, if you're not honest with yourself, you go, I know that was rubbish. But she's telling me or he's telling me that yeah, was great. Yeah. So then you think, okay, then what happens is you you automatically lower your own standards. Yes. You automatically go, oh, okay, that was okay then. Oh, I thought that was right. Someone <laughs> said to me, and that wasn't too great. You were a bit nervous up there. I'll be like, straight away, the, the, the answer's there. I'll go, I know. And actually, that's what I need to hear. I'll yes. go, I know I can do better. Because what am I going to do? I'm going to go away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it. And I'm going to become a better version next time I'm on stage, for example. So that's why that's the importance of being honest with, with each other and with yourself um, is, is huge to personal growth and personal development. And you're coming out here to do an Australian tour. What kind of things will we be talking about on, on this tour? 
everything I talk about, it comes from personal experience. So I always talk about tackling a certain situation with a certain mindset, um, with certain emotions, how I got through that situation and how I turned it into a positive. Because you talk about combat, it's negative, nothing positive about combat. How, how do I come up with a positive solution uh, for that? Um, and I talk about my climbs of Mount Everest and uh, recently of K2. And, you know, willing to put my sort of relying my life on the line again to 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 really challenge and push myself and the emotional and psychological sides of that so and also how to harness harness your emotions this tour that i'm talking about it's called the fear bubble tour and you know fear is the number one hurdle in life that stops us from achieving everything mm. whether it's the fear of not being good enough the fear of the unknown the fear of um worrying about what other people feel the fear of letting people you know it's like fear is just like it, it's there and nine times out of ten we just we just don't deal with it how we should um so this tool will really teach you how to harness your emotions and make them work for you because that's what emotional intelligence is all about is understanding the emotion for what it is you know really taking the time to why what is this emotion but it's actually it's, it's sadness why am i sad oh because my family member passed away two days ago well that's absolutely normal right right now the intelligent part how am i going to make this emotion work for me i know exactly what it is now i've been honest with it how am i going to make it work for me right i'm going to talk to other people right i've got a morning process to go through i've got to go through you know acceptance and you know, how am i going to do that well probably with 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 the people around me you know it's like and then you go through making that emotion work for you rather than against you because it's like with everything in life if something doesn't work for you it's not rocket science. It works against you. Mm. It's, it's as simple as that. And our emotions, nine times out of ten, work against us because we're not willing to, di to dive into them. We're not willing to understand them. We're not willing to firstly expose them you know, when in a controlled environment. They normally get exposed through trauma or through a horrendous life experience. Um, if you expose them in your controlled way, like I do when I climb and when I do you know, some, some crazy stuff and you repeat the process, then you're going to learn about that emotion. So I look at it as a piece of fruit. The more you expose the emotion, the more layers you take yeah. off of it. The more layers you take off of it and you repeat that process, the closer you're going to get to the nut, to the, to the actual fruit, you know. And when you get to that, you're going to understand about yourself. You're going to understand how you function, how you operate, because ultimately your emotions are you. So the tour is uh, is really about how to control your emotions, but mainly the fear. Mm. And, you know, the number one thing with fear is the fear of not being good enough. Yeah. We, we always have that fear that we're, you know, so we don't, we don't commit. We don't, you know, go through that commitment phase. We don't go through that trial and error phase because, um, and then you don't realise what you're capable of. And when you don't realise what you're capable of, self-belief will never kick in that back end. Mm. Self-belief is such a huge tool in life. And people can say, you know, people can say, you've probably heard it, and I've heard it all through my career. Oh, I believe in you. You know, of course, your, your mum and dad and your loved ones are going to say that. But if you, again, you can never lie to yourself, right? If you don't believe in yourself, then they're just empty words. So all this process fits into each other. They go over your head. But when you commit to stuff and you start to commit to stuff little by little, you start to realise what you're capable of. That's when self-belief kicks in the back end. Yes. But you've got to commit to your emotions you've got to commit to fear you've got to commit to things that make you uncomfortable because once you come through that and you go oh i've done that there's that self reward that you're giving yourself I'm, I'm capable of that right let me take another step that's not about mm. going from zero to 100 because that doesn't exist it's about going taking those tiny positive footsteps in the right direction going wow i didn't realize i was capable of this and then that gift 
that you can only gift yourself of self-belief kicks in the back end. And that's such a powerful gift because once you, once you have that, I'm not saying you achieve everything you set out to do because that's not that you won't. Um, fact, but there won't be um, there won't be much that phases you in life. Yes. There won't be much that you won't commit to, whether you succeed or not. You know something you touched on that I've been thinking about recently. I've been watching like the David Beckham documentary is like becoming and honing your craft as well. Like if you want to do something and have belief in yourself. You could be a public speaker or, you know, whatever it is, become good at a certain sport or whatever you want to achieve. No one gets there overnight. To be good at it, you need to practice and practice and practice. It's funny, my son's like telling me, he's 10. He's like, mum, can I get an agent for soccer or a manager? And I'm like, well, you need to become really good at your craft before anyone's ever going to even look at you. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And it's like, I think that a lot of us want to just like get this quick fix and become extraordinary overnight. But any of us, like even for me, podcasting, you need to nut away at becoming good at it. You need to practice. You need to research other people who are good at it. There is an art and then the more that you do that, the more the self-belief starts ticking in because you notice that you become good at it. Do you really ever get anywhere? Is there a final destination? Is there a finish? No, there's only one destination and we yes. know where we're going when, when we take our last breath. It's like, it's like I don't look at, you know, getting, it's like, do I want to progress? Do I want to become a better version of myself? Do I, well, listen, I have to put in the hard work, I have to sacrifice, I have to be passionate about what I do, I have to find something that I'm, I'm really obsessed with and passionate about. And if that is the cause, then just, you know, again, if you're putting in the hard work mm. or if you're not, again, you yes. can't lie to yourself. That's what I love about this human body. You cannot lie to you. If you. You know, you know when you're tired, you know when you're exhausted, you know when you've overdone it sometimes, you're like, no, I'm definitely putting up. Whatever comes tomorrow, uh, you know, I'll put in 100%. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and I'll re-attack it or, or take a different route around to where I need to be. Or oh, that, that's maybe not for me, and I need to now attack another, an, another angle. Um, but I never look at a finish line. I never look at the, mm. the finished product because... By the time you get to where you think you need to be, well, guess where? Guess what? Yeah. There's another ledge up there, and and where? And it's like the moment you stop and you think you're you're at the top of your mountain, then you're just going to live in the void for the rest of your life. You're going to stop growing. You're going to stop learning. You're going to stop becoming a better version of yourself. Um, you're going to find that the whole world is going to overtake you. So that progression in life is if is a lifelong. Um, commitment mm. you know it should never ever stop even when you're you know sat near your old your, your kids have got rid of you and an old parent so you know you, you, you've always you know as long as your mind's functional you should always be you know trying to trying to learn more trying to grow more um and i always say to people don't get focused on the, the destination because you know, one it might be too overwhelming Two, you might miss an opportunity that comes along from the side that actually is a better mm. opportunity that you know that you, you should have take, taken, therefore, but you haven't. Therefore, you live with regrets. So just work on progression, and progression is a lifelong process. So lo as long as you, you you keep that in your head, then that should give you the purpose and an internal purpose to achieve the external. Absolutely. I wonder, and what is the best advice that you have ever been given? That's a great question. Um, well, something that I've figured out as well. So I suppose it was, I've heard it sort of in my life, but something that I've really, really figured out. Surround yourself with positive people, positive like-minded people. And there's never a true word said, no, or phrase said in jest. It's like, 
because at the end of the day, and again, I learned so much from the pandemic, at the end of the day, that's all we have, you know, and if you surround yourself with that, that's the superpower really is, is the, is, is the energy of a, of a positive person that you go and see them uh, or the, yeah, you go and see them and they, they've got nothing materialistic to give you, no money, nothing, but they, they, they boost your energy. They boost your well-being. They boost, you know, they give you that sense of, uh, a sense of energy or sense of confidence that you only need to spend a few, few minutes in their presence and you're, and you're recharged, good to go. And that's a superpower that, um, that people take for granted. You know, they think they've got nothing to offer just because they've got, they haven't got the materialistic things. So they think they've got nothing to offer, but uh, you know, the, the people have, you know, and, and, it, and it's each other. It's our energy. It's, 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 uh, it's our positivity because positivity is an energy. I truly believe that. And uh, so surround yourself with, with positive, like-minded people um, because that they it will take you to the next level. Cause I used to think I could do everything by myself. I was always self-sufficient and, trying to be the best at everything that I could be. And when I fit that, I'm becoming, you know, trying to be the best version of me um, and then surrounding myself with people who are on that uh, sort of lifelong progression of, of progress, then you've always got someone to bounce off of and you've always got something to, to, to have. Do you have a favourite prayer or saying or mantra? Yeah, I've got, there's um, Romans chapter 12, verse 21. I'm not really a Catholic man, but I, I wrote this phrase, um, in my notepad when I went into combat is um, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it's like, you know, no matter how badly someone whips you down or tries to bring you down or just counter it with goodness, counter it with a pure heart, because a pure heart will always be a dark heart. So I've always said, and, uh, do you know what? The media world is is very similar to that. Yes. So, you know, it's it's like, you know, just stay true to who you are. I'm a, I know, I know that I'm a good person. You know, and again, not lying to myself. Yes, I've got faults. Of course I have. I make mistakes. Because I could go out there and I try so much. Of course I make mistakes. I fail at loads. I get things wrong all the time. But I know that I'm, I've got a good heart. I know that I'm a good, I'm, and my, my purpose is, is, is pure. You know, I never want to go out to hurt anyone. I never want to, you know, offend anyone. And, you know, I never want to, but if that's, that's almost their problem. So, you know, yeah, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it works all the time. It's like, I suppose, in the business industry, it's like kill people with your success, mm. you know, because that's, the, that's the, the the bad people, the evil people that are trying to drag you down. The more you succeed, that's that's the ultimate weapon to 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 fend them off and to, to you know, to, to bat them away, shall we say. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness is giving back. What you learn from life not giving back and again nothing external but what you learn from life giving back you know what you know you know sharing your soul sharing your experiences with each other i think that's a life of greatness if i can you know if i can make an impact onto into, uh, with someone's emotions and the way that they think then i've done a great job right so um awards the thing about award and again i'm going quite deep here the thing about awards and you know it's all fake. It's all man-made constructs. What is success? Success is in, in the eye of the beholder. You know, just because you've got medals, houses, cars, it doesn't make you you know a success. So uh, don't get carried away with all that. But, uh, yeah, if you can leave behind an emotional impact and a psychological sort of impact as well that, that other people can use to better them as an individual, then I think that's greatness. 
Aunt Middleton, thank you for continuing to be your authentic self. We're very looking forward to your tour in Australia. I'll have all of the dates in the show notes, but thank you so much for the beautiful conversation today. Thanks, Sarah. You're a star artist and have an amazing week and I look forward to hearing it. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. Listener.